All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the bi-rated TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by the man more educated than RVD's feet. It's Duncan Joyce from the Then One, Then Now, whatever podcast even. How's it going, Duncan? <laughs> hey, I'm doing swallowly. I've had an amazing summer. Uh, hope things are all your end. Yes, yes, I've just had my 34th birthday, so pretty low-key this year, getting old, but now it's been a good week. <laughs> nice stuff. I've just got back from a beautiful summer in America. Uh, I've got my farmer tan on, and I've got my arm all full of mosquito bites, but I'm good. Whereabouts in America have you been? I uh, started off in San Diego, then on to Las Vegas, and then I spent the rest of my time in northern Arizona in a little mountain town and uh, heading towards the Grand Canyon and stuff. That sounds amazing. It's fantastic, yeah. I might actually be um, on, well, on your side of the world again very soon myself. Um, My good friend Mark is getting married very soon, so I could be heading over for that uh, in the next couple of months. Oh, wow, congratulations. Yeah, if he's listening. um, He will be listening at some point. Whether or not it's before the wedding or not is up for debate, but if you are listening, good on you. And I'm currently saving every dollar I've got to get over to Ireland. Wow. So, yeah, possibly a big trip coming up there too. So we're hoping to catch some wrestling while I'm there. And then, of course, the obligatory jump down to Manchester and catch a game of football before I come home. Magic, yeah. But the reason why we're back on is because we're going to attempt take two at Raw and Nitro from April 5th, I believe it was. April 5th, 2010. Um, We had a little bit of a problem with our recording last time around and... Part of the audio, the first half of the audio was okay. The second half of the audio was unlistenable. And then before we got a chance to jump back on and do the second part again, my computer died and I lost all of it anyway. So here we are once again. Thanks for coming back on. It's not a problem. You've been very candid to the listeners about your issues with this. I'd have just been like, it's fine, it's fine. It's in the pipeline. Yeah, whatever. No worries. (laughs) I, I love doing this podcast, but I am absolutely terrible at anything to do with editing it. It took me probably six episodes to figure out how not to sound like I was doing it from like a tunnel underneath the um, underneath the Brisbane River or something. <laughs> I was essentially for for those not in the know. I pretty much did the first few episodes just recording it straight on my iPhone, sat in my bedroom, so that's why it sounded like utter shit. I um I used to work for a student. A radio station uh, my first year my PhD and I turned up to one session and um, she was like you know, instead of uh, renting out the studio's professional mic you could just talk into your iPhone and that's so much better I'm like some of us don't have iPhones you know it's <laughs> <laughs> oh man she would have been right up my alley for you know my technological advancement Now, I just have to actually find my notes. Here we are. Um, I'm, have you got your Raw notes first or your Impact notes first from last time uh, around? I got, I got Raw first because I watched Raw first. As did I. So we are back in sync once again, finally. Hey. All right. Should we head over and see what is happening on Raw back in 2010? All right. Let's take a look. Check one, two. I got you, well, won't you? 
All right, so Raw starts out with Jack Swagger coming out, being introduced with the World Heavyweight title, which apparently he'd won on SmackDown. Um, in the first recording, I ranted about this quite heavily, talking about how um, it, it wasn't good booking to have him come out just unannounced as, as the champion on a you know a random SmackDown episode he'd won it. He came out to very little heat and was asked to cut a lengthy promo, which wasn't great. Um, what, what did you think about Jack Swagger coming out with the belt and trying to cut a promo on Raw? So here's the thing that I have with this promo. Um, I mean, first of all, they're talking about how, they, they, how quick the turnaround was in the cash-in. Uh, it makes sense to have him come out and explain this because if you were just a Raw viewer, you'd have seen him trying to cash in on John Cena. Um, and he actually explained that he decided to cash in on Jericho instead because Jericho says he's the best in the world and you know, he's better than John Cena. So if I beat him, that means I'm even better than John Cena. And if I had actually cashed in on John Cena, oh, I'd have done it even quicker. I thought that was a good bit of heat there. Um, but the, the issue I have with this is they roll the footage of him actually... No, he, ro- he asks for the footage to be rolled of him cashing in. And then he verbally explains what happens. And I'm like, uh, you just shown us the video. Why are you yeah. talking? <laughs> it's, it's just wasted airtime, really. And it sounds like he had a miscue at least twice. Um, it was like, no one on Raw compares to his abilities and then nothing. And then he says it again. And then finally, Cena, Cena comes does out. come out to a surprisingly good pop here. Um, sometimes um, it, it catches me by surprise when I go back and watch Cena get a babyface reaction because pretty much after he won the world title, his popularity nosedive. But here, the crowd were definitely into him on this one. I think we're in that kind of weird in between time where some of the hardcore people who really strongly disliked Cena have been weeded out. Um, Or, you know, Raw was still running uh, some slightly more casual towns who would, you know, actually show some some consistent support for him. Like, this is probably a town where they don't get wrestling quite as often. It's not like they're just constantly doing the Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, Missouri circuit. Yeah, definitely. Um, So the crowd absolutely you know, more into Cena than you would normally see. He comes out and he challenges Jack Swagger to a match before he leaves for SmackDown now that he is the World Heavyweight Champion. Swagger's not too keen on this, but before it can be settled one way or another, Randy Orton comes out, and then he's followed out by Showmiz, who are also followed out by David Atunga, who is our guest host for the night. Um, and he tells us that we're going to see Randy Orton versus Jack Swagger, and John Cena and Batista teaming up to take on Showmiz for the tag team titles. So a bit of a setup of what's to come for the night we get here from this opening segment. Yeah, a bit of a lethargic, wordy segment, but as you say, it sets things up for later on tonight. Uh, there was zero explanation as to why Otunga was the guest host, which was super confusing. And did you see his little haircut with the Raw logo shaved in at the side? Yeah, see, now, I thought that was cool, but on the um, the guest host front, this just smacked to me at the time as they had a celebrity pull out last minute or something along those lines, or they didn't find anyone, because this was yeah, definitely just a little bit of lazy booking, wasn't it? Totally. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, we had a cold open tonight. Why could we not have had like a video package or something or some attempt at explanation as to how he's earned this shot? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, even like a, a video package opening up with Swagger's title win would have saved some of the, the nonsense with this promo segment as well. But I guess they needed to kill a bit of time. Um, the segment ends with Orton going for an RKO on Cena, who blocks it. So he just turns around and hits it on Swagger instead as we go out to the commercial break. Um, didn't think this really put Swagger over at all. I think if you're coming out of this segment, despite the fact that he's got the belt, the message very much came across. He's not in the league of Cena and Orton. What did you think about that? Yeah, see, now I, I've got mixed feelings about Cena's verbiage here in this promo because I appreciate the um, the continuity of him having it in for these Money in the Bank winners because he was the victim of the first cash-in. But I did not appreciate... I thought he went a bit too far, was a bit too cutting on the state of Swagger and they're saying, oh, you're not championship material and stuff. And it's just weird to me how we have this trope now where the the person cashing in is not an actually deserving champion and is only getting the shot only getting the championship because they pick their spot really well and then when they get the title they're not a very good champion <laughs> you mean like, you mean surely... like Carmella <laughs> oh my god don't get me started <laughs> but it, surely it would make sense if you are cunning enough to pick your spot correctly to get the cash in right then you would be cunning enough to be a good champion and keep your title and you know I don't get how they can have someone like instantly flip from winning a 6, 8, 10 person multi multi person I shouldn't say man because it's women's now too multi person ladder match to suddenly being so cowardly that you have to attack a champion with a weapon after they've had a match Uh. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think that's about as much thought as they've put into it. <laughs> <laughs> we go from first segment, we come back from commercial, and it's Kofi Kingston taking on Sheamus in our first match of the night. And really good crowd heat for Kofi here as well. He's definitely popular with the, with the fans. Um, doesn't do him much good, though, because he eats a big spinning backbreaker from Sheamus, followed by a short clothesline. But he does come back with a springboard crossbody, a drop kick, and then eats a sh- uh, eats a brogue kick from Sheamus. Heats another brogue kick from Sheamus and a um, raised edge type power bomb for the one two three. And what was basically a glorified squash here. Yeah, it's pretty well executed. If nothing particularly special here, but. Again, I'm sure I've asked this question for several weeks that we've had on Raw. Why does it have to be Kofi Kingston in this spot? He's very useful as a mid-card guy. Why do you have him be squashed by someone who's just a little bit further above him in the food chain? Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, It doesn't get much better for Kofi after the match either because Sheamus goes and gets a pipe from under the ring and nails Kofi in the back of the head with it, something you wouldn't see in 2018. In the back of the head. That's murder. <laughs> There's a murder in the middle of the ring. What the hell? Oh, There's a couple of signs I appreciated from this segment. Oh, go on. Uh, one, one was, uh, I stole this sign from a kid. <laughs> and then there was an evil Ronald McDonald sign. Oh, uh, that was so good. anti Seamus. I loved that sign. <laughs> We then see Triple H walking on the Titantron as we go to an, another commercial break. Uh, we see the slam of the week, which was just Seamus with the pipe, which again seems really lazy. <laughs> um, and he's now got a microphone in the ring. He cuts a promo on Triple H, which brings Triple, out, 
Triple H out to the ring, walking very, very slowly. Um, gets on the apron. Really, he, he's selling this really well, actually. He's getting the crowd behind him without doing anything because there's a big Triple H chant. Uh, but instead of getting into the ring, he drops back off the apron to the floor, gets the sledgehammer, comes in the ring and uses the sledgehammer to block the pipe before nailing Sheamus and swinging it on the outside, hitting a um, hitting the announcer's table, which causes sparks to fly up as Sheamus flees through the crowd in what was a really cool heated segment. Triple H knows how to get the crowd behind him without saying or doing a whole lot when coming out to chase off a bad guy, doesn't he? Yeah, you could, you could tell... Yeah, the right to be suspicious of Triple H coming out unarmed c- to confront Sheamus, who was weapon in hand. And then it's like, ah, it's a sledgehammer reveal. Um, and that was quite good. And he had the line at the end, and it's like, oh, you silly Irishman bringing a pipe to a sledgehammer fight. <laughs> I could just see this segment is the kind of thing where I think if I was actually sat in a room with you and Kyle, Kyle would just be marking out on the couch, looking at me going, see, I told you Triple H is great. And I'd just have to go, yeah, right, you win. <laughs> <laughs> One issue I have here, so is just with the layout of this. So we go to commercial with Triple H walking and they show that on the screen. And so you see Seamus kind of like, what, what, what's going on? And he has to stay in the ring and cut a promo all relaxed and stuff, even though he knows Triple H is on the way because they have to show it on the screen to show the <laughs> audience that, oh, Triple H is coming up next segment. I can't think of anything worse in modern wrestling than having to be in the ring for a commercial break. Yeah. Oh, and something else that um, annoyed me. So, shame to talk about how... Oh, um, <laughs> so, he... Obviously, because it's Triple H, you get the heat through mentioning Shawn Michaels because that's where everyone's real vested interest is in. <coughs> so he mentioned that it took Shawn Michaels eight years to win the WWE title, but it only took Sheamus six months. And he's pissed off about how he was supposed to have the best rookie year ever, but Triple H beat him at WrestleMania. I'm like, um, well, you lost legitimately to Triple H, though. What? Why do you have a right to complain? <laughs> yeah, he didn't lay down for me. What... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. If if Triple H would have cheated or something, you know, it, was, <laughs> that da- it would have been fine. But damn Triple H winning fair and square. I know. Just, oh, now, if so, what, what, what? if someone's going to have a beef about Triple H ruining their career at WrestleMania, surely it's got to be Booker T. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd say it's uh, the, the stuff be- that came before WrestleMania was more ruinous. If I'm um, being honest, but. WrestleMania, and they're still buying them. Booker, I, I, I think you're a little bit confused about your role in life here. I think you're a little bit confused. You see, Booker, you're going to get to go to WrestleMania, but you see, the fact is, Booker, somebody like you doesn't get to be a world champion. You see, people like you don't deserve it. That's reserved for people like me. 
yeah. Well, that's probably a chat for another day, but <laughs> Seamus definitely so. has no reason to complain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We go from here to slightly less serious business. It's Maurice on commentary um, for the Dress to Impress Battle Royal to earn a title shot at the Divas title next week. Um, and essentially, this is a battle royal with all the Divas coming out wearing nice dresses, which Maurice sits on commentary and basically shits all over how they all look one by one. Um in sort of mean girls fashion. There's a few good lines in there, though, digging it, digging it, all their dresses. What did you think about this? Uh, the one that I noted here was she claimed Gillian was whiter than Seamus. It <laughs> was a good line. <laughs> um, I-, I thought Lola was an utter creep as well. As was the style at the time, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> did you see him kiss Maurice's hand when she was going to sit down? Oh, no, I missed that. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh. Yeah. Um. Question. Yeah. Where is Nikki Bella's title shot that she earned last week by staying in the hot tub the longest? <laughs> yeah, I think they just uh, erased that one from memory, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, that that was some bad stuff. This is definitely pre divas or um, women's revolution, I should say. This is the nadir of women's wrestling. <laughs> the absolute worst ever. Because it, it, it's not PG anymore, so... It, no, no, sorry, it, it's PG now. It's not TV-14 anymore. So they're not even being, like, all guns swinging Jerry Springer sexism. They're just being just passively misogynistic. Like, yeah, um... Even Lawler says he didn't understand the rules of this match. He's like, I thought you had to take the dresses afterward. I'm like, no, King, it's, it's a different time now. <laughs> Ten years ago, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's this weird thing where he sounded out of touch, but then when you think about it, well, yeah, maybe he is out of touch, but they've still got the women wrestling in dresses and all the men are wrestling in normal outfits. Yep, dresses, and of course, because you can't wear your, um, you can't work in your heels, bare feet. So this is quite the jarring look. Yeah, we um we don't have to go over the top rope yet either. It can be over or through. However, um, you're able to take the bump, and the match gets started. It doesn't last all that long. Rosa goes out first. Uh, the Bellas are out pretty quickly as well. Um, Kelly Kelly hits a drop kick. Um, she's one of the few girls that are actually working in this match. Her and Gail Kim really. Um, but Kelly Kelly goes out next. Um, Alicia Fox is out. Um, no, sorry, Alicia Fox and Gillian Hall double team on Eve, but then Fox does get thrown out, uh, tries to help, but Eve dodges and wins the match. So it's really just, it's basically as soon as the match starts, one elimination after another until it's done. Yeah, Gail Kim and Katie Lee Birchall paired off at one point, actually attempted some wrestling, which I appreciated. Everything else was just blur. Get out of here as soon as you can. This is a embarrassment. Like this is a kind of thing where if I was a women's wrestler, this would be a bit embarrassing. Like the 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 time you've been given, the way you've been presented, you're just window dressing for the guest host to fit his gimmick. It's just terrible. Here's a question for you then, right? Do you think these girls had to go out and purchase a formal evening gown for a match like this just to be on TV for 30 seconds? Um, I, I don't know how it works because, like, um, yeah, I've never thought of that, actually. 
Well, I know if um like if, if someone's going to be featured on TV, like the guys, like I've heard stories where they're told to make sure they bring a suit to, to TV and things like that. So I'm wondering if these girls had to get on one of their, their, their better gowns just to be tossed to the floor and sent packing anyway. You know, actually, you've jugged my memory on something because I remember when AJ was... AJ Lee was doing the wedding segment for Daniel Bryan and they told her to get the wedding dress. And she was talking to the one, yeah, I'm going to wear my Converse with my wedding dress, so what? <laughs> so so I, I'm pretty sure that they could possibly have had to bring their own dresses to this. Yeah, it just makes it worse, doesn't it? Yeah. From here, we go into a pretty good hype video on David Atunga. Definitely sells him as a big deal. Um, we all know that was not to be the case long term, but for now, he's looking like he could be a future star. Yeah, finally, we get the explanation that he won a over-the-top Battle Royal last week on NXT to get this shot. Which nobody would have seen, so it's very good they put that in there. <laughs> They then um, have him chatting to his entourage backstage, acting like a bit of a big shot. In comes Santino uh, looking for the A-team, which is, um, he's the A-lister, right? David Otunga? Ah, right. That's the, that's the pun, right? Yeah, so Santino's a little bit confused. We see Hornswoggle tucking into David Otunga's 427 green M&Ms put in a bowl, and then his crew chase Horns- Hornswoggle out like it was a um, Saturday morning cartoon. So not really any value added by this segment. No, and when he got spotted, Hornswoggle spat the M&Ms back out into the bowl. Fucking knacker. <laughs> Lovely. This, however, takes us into our next match, which is Showmiz defending the tag titles up against John Cena and Batista, who have been having quite the feud going on at the moment. Um, Cena starts out with The Miz um, before Big Show comes in and hits a nice big headbutt. Um, Batista smiles in the corner as Cena's getting hit. We see some chops in the corner before The Miz comes back in. Cena breaks free and goes to tag, but Batista refuses to get himself in the match, drops and walks out in a um, the classic two guys are you know partner ditching his partner but without the uh 20 minute back and forth to go with it a la um strike force and i think i first strike saw do force, this yeah that's right uh, yeah good times the rick martel finally had enough of tito and ditched him to become a model rick martel greatly influential here every wrestler who's done the tag team split up has done that Oh no, I'm popping off the apron now. Yeah, it's been <laughs> often imitated, never duplicated. So he walks out, um, John Cena chases him up, doesn't bother staying and trying to fight the good fight in the ring, and they brawl on the ramp for a count out. This brings out David Otunga, who says that that's not good enough. Showmiz will defend their tag titles again, but this time instead of Batista, he himself will be the tag partner. So the NXT rookie inserting himself into a main event title match here on Raw. What did you think about that? Yeah, I wonder how he could get away with that, considering that he's supposedly here to earn a WWE contract or opportunity of a lifetime. So he's not an official roster member, yet he can challenge for a title. This is how I feel whenever I see like whoever's in the money in the bank competing for a number one contender spot if they've already got the money in the bank briefcase. It's like double dipping, really, isn't it? Yeah, so I guess then you could be in... A, the title match say you like narrowly lose like you've beat your opponent really really badly they've had to roll you up out of desperation and then you can twat them immediately after <laughs> the bell and 
and cash in and use your briefcase and stuff and, and then you actually win the title. So that's that's an original twist on the cash in I want to see. I've had a match, I've lost, I've nailed you after the bell, I've cashed in, had another match and beat you. Yeah. That, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Um, as far as the segment goes, uh, so there's just a few things I noted. On commentary, Cole claimed that the team of Batista and Cena was like putting Sandra Bullock and Jesse James on the same team. <laughs> okay. I don't know who Jesse James is. I presume it's not the road dog. <laughs> Sandra Bullock and the road dog in Speed 4. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's me, it's me, the D-O-double-G, Marvin once again with a B-U-L-L-O-C-K. <laughs> Now, I would pay to see that. Um, and I was begging for somebody to mention that John Cena and Batista are actually former world tag team champions, but no, never came up. No, absolutely not. And one production note here, when Batista came out, that his name came up with the SmackDown graphics. Oh, I did not catch that. It's just like, well, if he's still a SmackDown guy, why is he here and not on SmackDown? Oh, that's my um biggest pet hate from this time, which is about when I checked out of watching wrestling for a few years. So it can't drive me as mad as what it would have done. But when they just basically gave up on the brand split for Raw, that really, it drove me insane. Oh, Raw Super Show! Yep, call it what you like, but it was a big waste of time. Oh, uh, yeah. From here, we go to our next matchup, which is Ted DiBiase Jr. taking on Christian. Ted DiBiase Jr. comes out with a million-dollar title, uh, which is a belt that I now have in my collection as well as of very recently. So, cool to see that on TV now. Nice. Um, he's taking on Christian, but beforehand, he cuts a heel promo on his dad, calling him a shit dad, basically, saying that um, he had a lot of money but didn't do a whole lot of parenting. So... All good, he said, but that's, you know, he's got the money and he's happy, so no skin off his neck, which was a, a little bit of a strange promo, really. It kind of never really went anywhere, I guess. Last week at WrestleMania, my dad, the million dollar man, was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Huh. Now, I, I guess that prestigious honor had some some kind of profound effect on my father because last week on Raw, he did something he's never done before, ever. He tried to act like a father. Well, Dad, newsflash. One act of random kindness doesn't make up for all those lost years. All the baseball games, the football games, the birthday parties, my graduation, the time for missed opportunities is over. But, but you know better than anyone how to win me over. And it's not through my heart, it's through my bank account. So, so thanks, Dad, for the trust fund. And thanks for your million-dollar title. You know, it truly is good being the fortunate son. Yeah, I, 
ended on a line that I rather liked, uh, saying how it's good to be the fortunate son. So it's it's this weird thing of it sounds like it's something that will try to develop sympathy, like oh, you, my dad wasn't there, he wasn't around, but he's just cashing in on his father's goodwill anyway. Yeah, so I guess I don't know, maybe because the legends kind of get a you know a default babyface reaction. He's kind of just shitting on his dad for a bit of heel heat, maybe. Yeah. Match gets started with a backdrop from Christian, followed by a baseball slide and then a nice springboard dive. Uh, Ted comes back with a neck breaker and puts in a chin lock, hits a back elbow for a two count. Christian comes back with a pair of clotheslines. Um, and then we have a... Uh, sorry, they each block the other's finishing moves. Christian hits a shoulder, uh, runs, gets run shoulder into the post, sorry. And DBRC hits Dream Street for the one, two, three in a fairly short match, which was, you know, too short to be anything much. But these two guys, the action was, was decent when they were going. Yeah, it was quite good for the time. You're very rarely going to get anything actively bad with Christian in the ring. I just thought the, the middle portion with Ted in control was a bit too bland, but it had the right result. But one thing Christian does that I can't stand is that stupid thing where he springboards to the outside of the ring just to punch someone through the ropes. What's the point in that? <laughs> ah, I gotta love it. We get something as well that dates this show following up. It's the uh, Don't Try This At Home video. So they definitely uh, sat firmly in my memory from, from, well, a little bit earlier than this, but it is still, yeah, it's still good to see those pop up every now and again when you go back and watch these shows. The, the one f- for me growing up was... Uh, it was the JR one, you know, like, I can learn to fall off a 20-foot ladder. Or you don't have a damn clue where he is. <laughs> Bodies have been broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was it? Oh, who was the one, like, intercepts him with, like, I've, I've had six surgeries or something like that. Like, there's a, a few good sound bites from that video you're talking about, all the ones surrounding it. Oh, do you know, there was one, so there was one version of that where uh, it was after Rikishi got released and it was like, a, oh, I've had a dislocated shoulder or whatever. And they, they don't, because Rikishi's not in the company, they don't want to use them anymore, but they still use the audio bit and they just put the image of eggs with a really sore shoulder in there. <laughs> <laughs> you seriously try to convince us that Eggs has the voice of this, like, 400-pound Samoan man. <laughs> That's brilliant. So good. <laughs> uh, they're not going to put anything like that in there anymore because they're certainly not going to talk about the concussions anymore. Oh, boy. From there, we go to a really cool um, nostalgia video on Shawn Michaels, the recently retired Shawn Michaels, um, before we go into a recap video of the Sheamus and Triple H feud, so pushing that one pretty heavily at the moment. Mm. There was also a uh, announcement that the draft is coming, Ooh. April twenty sixth, and it will be a three hour show. Is is that still in our timeline? I think it is, isn't it? We go to May, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Ooh. Impact make it to May. Couple of episodes away, the draft. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I don't believe I've ever seen this draft. I actually the the original Raw and SmackDown draft is one of my favorite ever episodes of Raw. I just thought it was brilliant to watch the first time around. Uh, the one that, uh, yeah, I, I totally like skipped my memory because uh, like th- that was a time when it was just before I had internet and it was while I was like relying on Kyle to tape stuff for me. <laughs> and so like if it if it didn't ha- if it anything that happened in between the pay per view just didn't happen basically. Ah, oh, good times. I rem- I remember being well. That was two thousand and two. I think. 
I was up until 2000, I was in the same boat hoping someone at school would tape the odd SmackDown or Raw for me. So I definitely remember those days. Yeah, well, we get the we get online like the next month, literally, and uh, it was like just after they changed the name to WWE, and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> oh yeah, I, I I vividly remember being in oh, year ten or eleven, and um, this was pre like I, I I finished school in two thousand and one, so throughout my school life, I didn't really have the internet. I think maybe year eleven or twelve. A friend of mine had the internet, so when I visited his house, I could play around online, but that was about the extent of my internet browsing at that point. And I um, remember a friend telling me he'd been away on holiday and they'd had um, pay TV in the room and he'd watched an episode of SmackDown. And at this point, we were watching, I think, Superstars, which was about six months behind on TV over here. And he told me about how um, Triple H had married had married Stephanie and where we were up to he was still with um Tess was still with Stephanie and I just thought he was absolutely full of crap until lo and behold six months later when we caught up I realized that is what happened oh my gosh yeah so people these days like they've got no idea what we went through to get our wrestling fix <laughs> no, <right. laughs> WCW worldwide uh on on channel five was like three or four months out of date and I remember one time Eddie Guerrero turned up like right after he'd turned up on WWE. Oh god! <laughs> and Scott Hudson was like, "Cruiserweights, watch out! Eddie Guerrero is back!" I'm like, "Yeah, he's just debuted in the WWF. <laughs> What's he doing here?" Oh, the absolute worst memory I've got. I'll, I'll get off this quickly and stop boring everyone. But um, we had if you didn't have pay TV over here in the late '90s, early 2000s, you had like four TV channels on free to air TV, and you'd get the the printed TV guide in your newspaper back then as well, and um. As 98, 99 rolled on, they moved superstars later and later on, onto different nights of the week. So it became eventually rested about Sunday midnight and it'd be printed in the TV guide that it was on and there would be weeks when they just put something else on instead and you'd stayed up until midnight Sunday waiting for it and just heartbroken it wasn't on. Oh, yeah. I, ha- I had to do that with Heat. Like the, the last six months of their deal with Channel 4, it moved it to like midnight or something stupid it used to be on uh like mid afternoons in their little uh like teenage viewing block yeah bad times really bad times that and having to try and spend five hours downloading a single match on something like kazar and finding out your computer was dead by the time it was finished (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, moving right back along to 2010 and getting out of 1999, uh, we have our next matchup, which is Jack Swagger taking on Randy Orton. Um, we open up with some punches from Swagger to a big uh, Randy Orton chant as well from the crowd. So definitely babyface central here tonight. Um, Orton fires back with his Garvin stomp and then a knee drop for a two count. Swagger hits a suplex and clotheslines Orton out of the ring and we go to our commercial break in the middle of the match. When we come back, we get a back suplex and a vertical suplex by Swagger for a two, an abdominal stretch, and then Orton fires back with his rope-assisted DDT, which Cole calls Vintage Orton. This gets him a two, and then he hits a power slam, a backbreaker, and Swagger hits a big boot for a two of his own, the Vader bomb for a two before eating the RKO from Randy Orton, uh, losing cleanly in the middle, one, two, three, to start off his title reign like the jobber they're treating him as. Yeah, now you see, Orton pinned Swagger last week in the tag match. That would have been enough for 
having to lay claim to the title. I don't understand hauling Swagger back here just to illustrate that, oh yeah, well, Raw's champion's better than SmackDown's champion. Look at this, SmackDown's champion came over and lost. Yep, so to recap, he ate the pin last week. He won the title on SmackDown. Cena said, no, nah, you're not RKO. I'm not giving me the RKO, mate, earlier in the segment. So treat Swagger like your bitch. Gets eats the RKO in the opening segment. And now he's pinned cleanly in this one. So that is your new World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah, bit of a shame. As a match, this was pretty solid all around, though. Like, um, yeah, it was okay. Nothing particularly to write home about, but still the best thing we've had on this show. There were some real old-school details to this match that I appreciated. Like how, when Swagger went for the abdominal stretch, Orton actually tried to fight out of it before he could lock it on. Yeah, this this was pretty decent. I've never, I, I'll be honest, I've never been a Jack Swagger fan, but this this was not too bad. Yeah. You mentioned this being a big babyface town. There was some guy in the front row who was wearing a mustard-coloured jumper, um... Swagger was coming to the outside and he really strongly took exception to him. He just pointed and booed really loudly when Swagger came over to him. Oh man, that's brilliant. I am um, the only person that gets that kind of reaction now is um Tommaso Ciampa, isn't he? He's the, about the only heel that can bring that out at the moment. Oh my lord, but NXT's on uh, Hulu in America is the only bit of wrestling that I watched while I was on my holiday and holy shit Champa being champion. <laughs> oh, so good. I am absolutely dying for Champa and Gargano 3. Yeah, I wonder how long they're going to hold it off for. You don't think they'll pull the trigger in Brooklyn? Uh, I've heard that's not precisely what's happening. Okay, I um I, I know they had another match announced, but I've read today, and I won't I won't spoil it for anyone that's not watched because I've not watched it yet myself. That um that match is being changed out of necessity, so possibly this we might get it sooner than we think. Okay, but without any spoilers, let's move back to the past and next week's show from. 2010, not next week's show now, is going to be coming to us from London and hosted by David Hasselhoff. So this was one I took interest in. I'm looking forward to that now. Fucking yes, I am amped for this. Yeah. Jump in my car. <laughs> it's too late to walk alone. <laughs> <coughs> oh, you're going to kill me. That's brilliant. <laughs> Did you know David Hasselhoff follows me on Twitter? He does, does he? He does. He, my personal account, not the wrestling account. Oh, that's brilliant. It was right from the like uh, the embryonic days of Twitter. Like I joined in 2009 and anyone who's everyone would just follow you back. Like, I got Spotify to follow me back. I got Popcap to, Popcap to follow me back. They make the Plants vs. Zombies and Peggle and all that. <laughs> I'm, I'm late to the Twitter game, so the, the best I can brag about is... Um, Pete Gass and Sean Stasiak. Oh, I think I've got both of them too. <laughs> I, I'm pretty happy with that. They they follow me back, and I've um I think when I bought Pete Gass's book, he he made sure to retweet and, and comment on that. So that'll do. The embarrassing thing is, uh, Sean Stasiak followed right after we recorded an episode where Kyle called him one of the worst second generation wrestlers ever. <laughs> Oh, that is harsh. Come on, Kyle. You can't pick on poor meat. 
Oh, Planet Stasiak. He, he, I, I like Sean Stasiak. I've got a soft spot. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite a boy, but he's he's close. Uh, and we go from here to our main event, which is Show Miz taking on John Cena and David Otunga. Um, Cena and Miz start out again, um, and we get a... Um, Sorry, Atunga comes in early and hits a nice shoulder block for a two count. And then we get a bulldog for a two count before Miz fires back with some punches. And Show comes in and hits some punches as well as the crowd chants for Cena. Uh, Big Show stands on him. Miz comes in and hits a clothesline for a two, puts in a chin lock. Cena goes to try and tag Atunga. And if you guessed what happened next is he dropped to the floor just like Rick Martel, you would be correct. Oh... <laughs> uh, if we then have Big Show hit the knockout punch on Cena and pick up the one, two, three in a pinfall I didn't see happening. Uh, this brings out Batista, who hits a lovely Batista bomb on Cena, demands his spotlight be shot on him and announces that he will be claiming his rematch at Extreme Rules in a last man standing contest. What did you think about this match and finishing segment? Um, the match itself, nothing much to it. Um only thing I liked about it was uh, some good heel antics from the Big Show. And uh, there was one time Cena goes to shoulder block the Big Show and Big Show just literally stands still and Cena goes flying off him. I fucking loved it. <laughs> Big Show hit doing simple things well is very good. Absolutely. Um, the rematch makes sense. It's clear that they're not done with... Dave versus Cena, yeah. Last man standing matches usually tend to be good. Batista had a great one with Taker. Cena had a fucking awesome one with Umaga. It sounds like a match that suits both of their styles as well. I agree. I agree. I have a kayfabe beef with this match. Um, I ranted a little bit in the original recording we did, so I've calmed down a lot since then, since it's been a while. But my real beef with this match is Otunga books himself into a match... And, um, I'm oh, sorry, maybe I have read my notes wrong here. Did, did Atunga tag into this match or not? Yeah, I think he started out, actually. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I've not read my notes wrong then. So, Atunga books himself into a match, an opportunity to win the tag titles, gets in and wrestles, and then decides to pull the swerve. Now... If wrestling was real, why would you get in and allow yourself to be hit just to not help someone in a match that you booked? It doesn't make any sense at all. Only thing I could think of, he was only ever in the in the ring with The Miz, and The Miz is one of the trainers on NXT, so he's trying to prove some kind of point to The Miz personally there. Uh, okay, that's that's all right. That's a little bit of clawing it back. I don't know that they um that well they certainly didn't make that note on commentary. But you've obviously um bailed the writers out a little bit there. But I I still would question now why he doesn't want to win the tag titles. Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. So... Speaking of the Miz, there was a sign for his NXT rookie. We want Daniel Bryan Way. in the crowd. It's so weird to me that this time exists at the same time as Cole slagging off Daniel Bryan week in, week out. I know, it's just insane. Michael Hull's, Michael Cole, Michael Hull, Michael Cole, as a heel, is just one of them things that you just shake your head and go, why did they try this? What were they hoping to achieve? Exactly. But overall thoughts on Raw, what did you think about the show as a whole? <sighs> Nothing special, really. Uh, I really 
can't think of anything that I'd recommend you go out of your way to see. Pretty much business as usual. Yeah, pr- pretty standard fare. Nothing outrageous. Um, the Divas, Divas match was probably the low point. And, um, so I guess the Orton and Swagger or... Sheamus and Kofi, or even Ted and Christian, small stretches of wrestling would be the high points. But um, yeah, certainly nothing all that memorable on this show. Yeah, I think that's the depressing thing about this timeline, really. Like, it's exciting to look at TNA because they're trying all these different things, but WWE are still just coasting and not worried at all. And it's been fairly middle of the road from their end, as far as we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean they're they're clearly not trying and still absolutely dominating the ratings. I don't. I don't did I give the ratings rundown when we first opened up or not? Ah, uh, no. So yeah, Raw was a three point one a three point one five to TNA's zero point nine, which tells you all you need to know. Like they're not even cracking a one now, and Raw is just hammering them without trying. Oh my gosh! And we'll get onto it when we start Impact in a little while, but. TNA have just moved to their special 8pm time slot or whatever it was as well. Yeah, trying to get the jump and claw back some viewers because they're struggling here. Yeah, very much. Well, that's Raw in the can. Should we head over and see exactly what TNA are going to do to try and claw back some of this viewership here? Yeah, let's take a look. So Impact opens up with a video package on Team Hulk Hogan up against Team Ric Flair featuring the likes of AJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett and Abyss. Um, what did you think about this opening little video? Pretty good. Lots of Abyss twatting people. Um, <laughs> you can see you can see the moment. Uh, remember last week, AJ cut his hand open on Jarrett's guitar while he low blowed him. And you can literally see the moment where the cut happens. It's pretty cool. Ugh, gruesome. Yeah. And then we go to the, um, well, probably the the first part of this show, which enraged me. Um, Christian Hemi announcing a knockout lockbox showdown. It's an eight-woman's tag match. Um, there'll be four boxes. Inside the four boxes will be an open contract for a match of your choosing. Um Tara's spider, uh, her pet tarantula, was poison, it's called, isn't it? Poison, that's right. Um, a, a marching order to strip to your bra and panties. Um, and the knockouts title. So <laughs> that's going to be selected and taken away from Tara, but at random by someone who guesses the lucky or gets the lucky key. Yeah, now you see... Oh. When Christy first introduced this match, I was vaguely optimistic because I'm like, oh, we're going to have the 
the women's division in TNA is going to have a prominent spot on the show. Oh, this is going to be totally different from Raw. And then she talked through the stipulation, and I'm like, what the hell is this bollocks? Oh, it, it just gets worse as well. Um, we have the beautiful people come in and cut a promo. Um, Lacey's in a towel and says she'll happily walk in um, and take the bra and panties contract out. Um, we then get the opening video for the show, and yeah, there's a lot more of this to come later, but it doesn't get any better. No, uh, so I don't think Christy explained the rules particularly well either, because she says like um, pinfall or submission eliminates uh, uh, eliminates both participants from the match. Yeah, I was really confused until the match actually started. Probably about two eliminations deep, I figured out what was happening. So it's an eight-person Survivor Series-style tag, but when you pick up a victory, you also leave the match because you're now assured one of the four lockboxes. Yeah, you get you get a key, and then the winner just... Uh, then the loser just has to disappear from the match. Yeah, so it's... um. We'll get into the into the detail of that when it comes up later, but yeah, it's definitely as bad as it sounds. Yeah. So we have Jeff Jarrett, Abyss, and Hulk Hogan coming out next. Jeff Jarrett definitely doesn't look too keen to be making this walk with the other two. You can you can see he's um not on board with being part of Team Hulkster, in my opinion. And Tanae tells us we should all phone our friends and let them know what's going on here. Um, and the crowd are super hot for the Hulkster. Um, Hulk and Abyss both cut a promo on Team Flair. Abyss gets really fired up. And then Ric Flair is wheeled out in his wheelchair. And out come Desmond Wolfe, uh, Sting, and Beer Money, which is essentially going to be Team Flair. Flair cuts a really good promo. And Hulk says that he has a full team and he's going to announce them later on. Ric Flair starts coming to the ring with his team now to pick a fight while Hulk's not got all his men in order. And Jeff Jarrett tells Sting to get in uh, without the bat and answer him one question. He says, after 20 years, why now, Sting? Are you going to the dark side? Sting, uh, and then slaps Sting, but Sting fires back with a scorpion death drop. Uh, Abyss gets nailed with the bat, and the heels surround Hulk Hogan. This brings out Jeff Jarrett and RVD from the crowd for the save, and we're to assume these guys are going to round out the rest of Team Hogan. What did you think about this chaotic opening little gambit with all the, the top guys? I was fine with this, really. Um, apart from when Jarrett was confronting Sting... And called him Steve, so that you know that it's a shoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, Hogan, Hogan opens up this promo saying, "Like you know, there's some horsepower between Team Hogan, brother." I'm like that's no way to talk about a bit. <laughs> I know he's probably a bit long in the face, but come on, man. <laughs> oh, that's harsh. <laughs> Did you hear Hulk as well? He was referring to Abyss as the big dog. And he even did a little bow. <laughs> somewhere, s- somewhere far, far away, Michael Cole is writing that one down for later. Big dog! Big dog! Big dog! Big dog! Big dog! Here comes the big dog! And there is the big dog! Here comes the big dog! The big dog is coming to go hunt. Will tonight be the night that the big dog wins the Universal Championship? <laughs> no, he couldn't because he was on air at the same time. <laughs> oh, no, wait, the show's an hour early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's backstage <laughs> at catering and he's got big dog. I'll, I'll remember that and I'll say it big 15 dog, times yeah. a night. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I also... 
I didn't like Abyss when he was cutting his promos, spitting into the camera by accident. Ugh, gross. Yeah, a little bit. It, it very much comes across here that Abyss is Hogan's lackey and Jeff Jarrett can't be arsed. <laughs> it doesn't look great on TV for me, but everyone else seemed pretty into this and Hardy and Jarrett are definitely hot stars in the company at the moment as well. So it's, it's definitely, you know, this is one that's going to get the crowd invested one way or another. Yeah, for sure. And how stacked is Team Flair, by the way? Yeah, decent, isn't it? Desmond Wolf, Beer Money, who we call Badass Cowboys. Which I really <laughs> like that line. Yeah. And Sting, who's you know this War Games veteran in, in essentially a War Games match. Yeah, very, very Bloody good. Bloody great. Team. Then again, Hogan's team's not looking too shabby either, actually. Um, Abyss, Jarrett, Hardy, and, and Van Dam, pretty decent. Yeah, that's a good lineup for this match. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to when we get to that one, actually. Definitely. So we go to a commercial break and we come back and two of the people involved in the first segment are going to have a matchup now. It's RVD taking on uh, James Storm. Van Dam hits a spin kick and a monkey flip and then a springboard kick, but gets caught on a baseball slide and tossed into the rail in a really cool looking spot. Um, James Storm hits a rope assisted DDT for a two count. Uh, RVD does his step over spin kick and then a rolling thunder for a two. Storm hits an Enziguri and the Eye of the Storm for a two. But before RVD hits a split leg and moonsault and for the first time ever, I think, picks up a victory with it with a one, two, three. That was actually his finisher when he was in WCW. Ah, was it? Robbie V? Yeah, before, yeah. Robbie V, yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, see, I've got absolutely no short-term memory, but 90s wrestling, I'm there with you. (laughs) The celebration. What do you think to this? Actually, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I I say this a lot when we watch these shows, but I'd like it to have been a little bit longer. But the action was good. Um, Van Dam, when he's left to his own devices, definitely can go up a gear. I maybe not in this day and age now, but you know, in between his WWE stints or when he was allowed to break out, he really could go. I was. It's one of my probably biggest wrestling regrets that they managed to make Rob Van Dam wrestle the same match every night for the best part of 10 years in WWE, and we never really got to see him really go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes this match exciting. You know, James Storm, VTNA veteran, RVD, who was you know, off of a early mid mid. 2000s AWWE guy. It's a really fresh matchup. It's really intriguing to see them mix it up. And this was, it was a pretty nice match. Lots of nice little bits of action here. Uh, the finish came from nowhere, but I can forgive them for doing that on television. Um, this is immediately up to par with the Orton and Swagger match. Yeah, definitely. I actually, it's something I'd like to see more of is just, you know, random moves finishing matches occasionally, but I think you've got to do it with semi-regularity to make it not just look like one guy is a bit of a jobber. Yeah, totally, yeah. After the match, though, Storm doesn't look like a jobber for long because he smashes a bottle over the head of RBD. Um, Security try and walk him out and help RBD. Jeff Jarrett then comes out and hits a clothesline before Bobby Roode comes out. I'm oh, sorry, Jeff Hardy comes out and hits a clothesline, not Jeff Jarrett, before Bobby Roode comes out and hits a glorious-looking spine buster to end the segment. So what did you think about the aftermatch melee here? Yeah, so it's clear Team Flair getting the upper hand here. You'd expect them to have a bit more continuity, so it makes sense. You know, 
Flair talked in his promo. Him and Sting have more history between them. Beer Money, they're a legitimate tag team. Wolf's been associated with Flair for the past few weeks now. It's pretty all, logical. All coming together nicely. Yeah. We then have a promo. Christy Hemming is with Tara, ODB, and Angelina Love. Um, and, sorry, and Hamada, who's name I didn't know at first. This is the first time I'd seen Hamada, um, Japanese wrestler. And Tara and Angelina Love argue ODB makes sure to use the word box in a way <laughs> not used previously on the show and um, says she's going to be going after AJ Styles' booty when she gets the open contract. So this was, um, yeah, right on par with some of the crap we saw in the Divas Battle Royal earlier. What did you think? ODB once she could remember that it was a contract she was after she's like I'm going after contract (laughs) this was not good and uh, Tara was uh, basically had the same argument that you did about the the title being in this match she accused uh, Angelina of stealing you're going to be stealing my title if you did that yeah, um, Tara's definitely got a legitimate gripe here because she's got... A, she's got to win a match to be given a chance to lose one of her two most valuable possessions because she can only win either the spider or the bell. So she's even if she wins and does everything she can possibly do to perfection, she still is going to lose something. What what kind of... Like, why would anybody want to be in this match? Yeah, exactly. It's It's just stupid. Like... If they'd have had maybe someone have the opportunity to win multiple keys to lockboxes. Yeah, then theoretically, at least in theory, she could come out the victor without losing anything. But in kayfabe here, even if she wins, she has to lose something, and that makes zero sense. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you're... Oh, my God. You're top prize in women's wrestling is basically going to be decided by a game of chance yeah it's it's um it's it's a definite step backwards imagine right if some somebody and the the x division title was on the line they wrestle a match there's multiple people and they get and you have multiple people gain victories to qualify for a game of I don't know, win, lose, or draw at the end of the wrestling match. And then the winner of win, lose, or draw becomes a new X Division champion. <laughs> Imagine, like, do you remember when they um, used to do Raw Roulette? Yes, yeah. Imagine if they had, like, a, a title match was going to close the show and they spun it and it just come up on, like, paper, scissors, rock or something. That's about the equivalent of this. <laughs> <laughs> you just imagine Eugene getting the world title by p- pulling a, um, a rock on the scissors. Oh, my God. Yeah, not so good. <laughs> From there, we go to our next match, which is Homicide taking on Rob Terry for the Glo- TNA, TNA Global Championship. Um, Rob Terry hits a clothesline, and then we get a nice uh, chokes, half choke slam, half beal. Um, no sells some shots from Homicide. Um, hits him with a press slam, um, and then a Davy Boy Smith style power slam for the one, two, three in another one that was just a bit of a glorified squash here. Yeah, but I think, personally, this is the best Rob Terry squash we've seen so far. Homicide was really playing his well here, really bumping well for him, um, as it should have been. Yeah, 100%. Um, and then after the match, Homicide goes and gets a chair, which Rob, Te- Rob Terry, I'm struggling with my words tonight, which Rob Terry completely no-sells, um, 
to the back and to the head and then hits a big choke slam. And we see that he had a hard way cut from that chair shot, so definitely makes him look like a bit of a badass here. Yeah, that's a bit gross. They should have called him Rob Telly, and then he could have had like a flat screen on his stomach because <laughs> his chest is so big because he's jacked. <laughs> that show a drive him movie on his back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get um, oh, who we've got coming out next here? Orlando Jordan. Yeah, I'm sh- with my notes here. Going, we're going back a little while, but um. This just completely threw me for a loop here. Orlando Jordan comes out on the ramp and sprays cream on himself. <laughs> My notes just say, what the fuck? So you can see I've just lost lost it here. So what, what did you think about Orlando Jordan's involvement? Oh, really, really mixed. Um, this is, as far as I can... Call coming back the the only bisexual character I've ever seen in wrestling, and they're doing the whole gay panic. He's a pervert thing. It's nah. Yeah, not not the best, is it? No, this is this is why I sometimes have trouble with wrestling incorporating stuff like this. It's this is not the way you normalize to someone who is not in a position where they they encounter bisexual people, people from different cultures, or, uh, stuff like that, because they're not having him act like a normal person. <laughs> no, if you, he, he must be an absolute creep. That's the message they're sending across. And uh, on a side note as well, I've just never enjoyed Orlando Jordan as a performer. It's got nothing to do with his sexuality. I just don't think he's any good. I can't remember a single match of his, really. <laughs> that tells you all you need to know. I just feel sorry for him that time when uh, JBL was ranting at people in one night stand and there was some kind of like homosexual slurs in there and he just had to be like, huh, huh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, good times. <laughs> yeah. We then go to our next commercial break, and when we come back, before we go into the big women's match, Taz tells us that he's really excited for this because he likes knockouts and he likes boxes. Oh, my God. This is just like... There's a there's a segment sometimes on the Jimmy Fallon show where it's... Uh, it's like a truth box thing or something like that, and you have to... Box of lies, that's what it's called. And in very... Inevitably, it'll be a, a a woman actress, a celebrity, or something doing this with him. And they grab a box from the side, and they find out what's inside the box, and have to decide if they're going to be honest about it or try and lie to him, trying to convince him that it's something else in there. And they always have like Jimmy in my box, and everyone in the audience will laugh like, oh, "Box means vagina." <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Oh, that's bad. And it is... <laughs> Nothing else to add to that. That's just bad. <laughs> um, we come to the um, the next match here, and I must have been really angry reading this because I've just got here again. Tara loses her belt or a spider. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> it pissed me off so badly. Thankfully, it's months ago, and I'm laughing about it now, but I must have been pretty angry reading this back. <laughs> um, it's Tara, Angelina Love, ODB, and Hamada taking on the beautiful... Beautiful people, Lacey, Madison, and Velvet, and Daphne. Um, as we said earlier, once a pin occurs, winner and loser both leave the match. Winner gets a key, and loser gets nothing. 
Daphne was dressed like she was Irish for some reason. Yeah, a little um, bit of a leprechaun theme going on or something, wasn't it? Yeah, she was all in green and she had this tiny hat on her head. And the match is um, pretty much straight to finishes, just like in the WWE side of things with the Battle Royal as well, because Tara hits a Widow's Peak right away on Madison and they're both out. Um, During an ad break, Daphne pins Hamada, so they're both out. Taz jokes about WCW having polls, and I'm thinking, oh, this is right up Russo's alley, so I don't know what you're slagging on them for. I bet you 100% Vince Russo booked this shit. Of course he did. I swear to God, bro, this is going to be the best way to get the girls over. When Hogan first turned up, he was like, "Um, oh, Vince Russo's on this. On, on this writing committee, and you, you you like sued him for defamation of character and stuff. It's like, well, just as so long as he keeps in line, brother, he's gonna be just fine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm guessing this is keeping Vince Russo in line. Here you are, brother. You can have the women. Yeah, yeah. You just don't get to book me in anything. Yeah. And and who would have thought years later? Well, probably a few people would have thought, but Hogan's reputation would be the one that's in more tatters than Russo's by now. Yeah, um, and it's weird. It's it's private comments from Hogan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Vince Russo says some very horrific shit on his actual podcast, but but it is deliberately, you know, it's his publicly expressed character that is just oh my god. Yeah, they're both despicable people. They can both go fuck themselves. Agree completely. I couldn't actually. I couldn't listen to Vince Russo's podcast if I wanted to. It just his voice just irritates the shit out of me. Back in the match, ODB hits an SOS on Velvet Sky for a two, uh, but Velvet Sky comes back with a DDT for a three count, um, which leaves Angelina Love and Lacey left in the match. Um, and we, we get told there's going to be a ladder match next as well, so gimmicks galore. Angelina Love then hits a, uh, the lights out, which is sort of like a self-rock bottom. Four, one, two, three. So we are going to give keys to Tara, Daphne, Velvet Sky, and Angelina Love. <sighs> this this is a mess. It, it, yeah, it, it was bad. Thankfully, it was short, but it was definitely bad. This is really... Yeah, and... You, you pitch this as this really big featured part of the show and then you have one of the decisions coming in the commercial break? Get stuffed. Yeah, really just poor. From here we go to a video package on the Kurt Angle-Ken Anderson feud where the feud has been fairly hot but the matches have not been so good so far. And we get our entrances before we go to a commercial break. And as we said just a moment ago, it's a ladder match here um, with... What's on the up at the top to be one? It's the key to the cage for their cage match at the pay per view. Yeah, and they have to attach this big wooden block that says like "cage key" or something on it, so that you know the audience can see what's on the line, <laughs> or they have something that's easy to grab. Yeah, the, like, uh... <laughs> you ever you ever have those like uh, hotel rooms where you have this really really big like wooden ornament on the end of your key? I th- and like, well, I'm going to fit this in my pocket. <laughs> I think more along the lines of like having to go and ask for the key to the toilet at a service station. It com- <laughs> com- comes out on like a, a rim or something. <laughs> the voiceover man in the video package uh, had a nice way of putting this match. Uh, he puts it over as a death-defying ladder match for the ultimate advantage at lockdown. 
<laughs> yeah, that's overselling it for sure. Yeah. I just, yeah, I, I think I, I think when we first talked about this, I said to you, I would just let him go up and get the key. Like, I wouldn't go through a ladder match for the possibility of having a slight advantage in my cage match. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm going to save myself from having to climb out of the cage by climbing up this ladder. Yeah, I am. Um, the risk reward like is something I'm big on when it comes to wrestling logic. Like if the the reward you can get is nowhere near the same worth as the risk you're putting your body through, then just don't have the match. Yeah. <laughs> but they obviously don't follow my lead and they're far far braver than I am, I guess. Kurt Angle um we we get started and we have um Ken Anderson, sorry, um gets onto the ladder early. Um, with a suplex, but Kurt fires back with a belly-to-belly onto the ladder. Anderson gets the... Um, sorry, goes after the key, but Angle slam off the ladder stops him. Angle then begins a slow climb, which, despite the fact that they've only been wrestling for a couple of minutes, is you know already underway here. And he takes an awful bump, missing the ropes completely and landing on the outside of the ring. It was um, pretty horrific, and holy shit, chants, which are, funnily enough, bleeped out from the crowd. <laughs> Yeah, I had to have a laugh at that. But I'm glad I had something to laugh at because that was one of the most dreadful bumps I've ever seen in a ladder match. Holy shit. Like, Kurt's leg gets trapped in the ladder as he's going over the top and it's not a nice landing at all. No, this is what happens when you put an Olympic wrestler into a ladder match, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Um, We have Anderson goes up and gets his hands on the key. Angle, unfortunately, (laughs) it doesn't get much better for him. um, Comes off the top with a missile drop kick to the ladder. And then Angle comes off with a moonsault to the ladder. So, yeah, the bumps here are coming thick and fast. Anderson ends up with his shoulder to the post, but spots Angle's dog tag again around the post and then wraps it around Angle's throat and chokes him out, allowing him to climb up the ladder and get the key and then scurry up the ramp to cut a promo on Kurt Angle. What did you think about this one? I I thought the finish was a bit crap, really. Um, And the selling of this match naturally went completely out of the window. Like, you know, Anderson's just been moonsaulted onto a ladder right after being drop kicked off it and sent into the ring post, but he's got the presence of mind to spot this warrior medal. No, I don't think so. Um, it, yeah, it was just climb, knock off, rinse, repeat. Um, the spots involved were great, but it's just literally a car crash of wedging those spots into the time that they had. Yeah, not. I just, yeah, I, I can't get invested in it when there's nothing on the line and all the risks they're taking for a TV match for, you know, for absolutely no purpose. I just can't imagine Kurt Angle thought this was a good idea with the state his body was beginning to be in by then. I mean, you see him walking now and he's about a foot shorter because his legs don't go straight anymore and you got to think matches like this certainly didn't help him. Yes, yeah, not a, uh, a conducive environment for someone who's had several broken necks. Mr. Anderson's promo after this match. So he he mentions he's got a bottle of bubbly backstage and uh, he's celebrating because he's just guaranteed himself victory at lockdown. And then at the end, he just admits that he's just going to be partying by himself in his hotel room, <laughs> which I found a bit sad. <laughs> With all his fans. <laughs> yeah, him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I of all the different um, eras of wrestling I've watched for this podcast, 
Ken Anderson is the one man I've soured on the most watching any of any wrestling back. Wow. Yes, that's a it's a big claim. Like, there's lots of people I go back and watch. Like, you know, a classic one that I go back and watch now and think, how the fuck did I ever like this? Was Tugboat, but Ken Anderson is even worse than Tugboat going back. <laughs> so that that is what it is. I hope his run gets better, but yeah, so far in TNA, he's been very underwhelming. Definitely. We then have Jeremy Borash with Hulk Hogan, um, who talks about how he doesn't want to throw Eric Bischoff under the bus. Uh, but in comes Bubba, Bubba the Love Sponge and tells Jeremy Bish- Jeremy Borash to scrizam. <laughs> yeah, he calls JB a milk toast vanilla asshole. <sighs> like, oh, just stop it, Bubba. I mean, it's like, yeah, like you're really interesting, Bubba. Scrizam, like just oh, get off my TV. <laughs> um, he tells Hogan how he's having fun with the band and how it sucked with Hulk Hogan. So sub mate, Bubba is. But the segment is instantly saved by my man Jay Lethal, who comes in and <laughs> says to him, "The situation with you, me, and Elizabeth, it wasn't your fault. This was just incredible. So funny." I've been thinking, 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 yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 look on Hogan's face when when Lethal first comes on screen, it's just this perfect oh fuck's sake look. <laughs> Lethal tells him he's got his back now and to go and find his mega powers tights, and this just popped me so hard. <laughs> Uh, just really good stuff. Uh, Jay Lethal as Macho Man. Yes, please. More, more, more. We then go to Chrissy Hemi with Matt Morgan, who basically tells us he's the tag team champions now, and that's the whole point of the promo. So Morgan has eliminated his partner and is going to be carrying the belt solo by the looks of things. Yeah, he spends his whole promo talking in the royal we. It's like, we are the tag team champions. We are sorry for... This unfortunate accident that happened to Hernandez last week, which I thought was a great line. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I, I'm interested to see where this goes. I think the, the blow-off match between those two has got some potential, so whether or not we get it and it is good, we will see, but it's got me interested for now. Hernandez, as much as anybody, was someone who I'd hoped would have been a really big breakout guy for this Hogan era because he he looked like he had a ton of potential through his earlier time in TNA, but he didn't quite get the the same rubber, say like a Joe or an AJ, because he's not this super technical guy. Yeah, like he's someone that I'd imagine would have done better in the WWE. Actually, yeah, definitely. Um, it's a shame that it, it didn't take off for him, but um, yeah, at least it's giving us some interesting stuff to go back and watch at the moment. Mm. We go to our next match, which is the Motor City Machine Guns taking on Team 3D. Um, and we have Bully Ray and Chris Saban with some chain wrestling to start with. And the crowd immediately shit all over this because they want tables. Hmm. Speaking of the crowd, there's someone in the crowd who must have been a plant. It's the only way I can explain this turning up. But they had a sign that read, Nasty's own 3D. Yeah, that's absolutely got to be planted. Maybe it is actually Jimmy Hart. Oh, you got all by the nasty brothers, brother. <laughs> Hulk Hogan came out and said, look, I'll come and give you autographs if you hold this sign up. 
We get Alex Shelley and Devon in. Um, the guns go to some really quick offense, keeping the match going. Uh, Saban hits a double missile drop kick, which is quite cool, and Enziguri, and we get a neck breaker and splash combo, and then a double team by uh, sorry double team by the guns for a two count before 3D come back with the was up headbutt, which is quite a few years out of date, but still a cool spot. Yeah, the was up to the yam bag, as Taz called it. <laughs> And then we get the uh, non-gimmick infringing one, two, three, get the tables. I didn't realize they did this count in TNA. Uh, I like when they came back in 2015 in the WWE, like one, two, three, so the count crowd could come in at the right time. Yeah, um, pretty cheesy, but it doesn't last anyway because the band come out and lay out Team 3D with brass knucks, um, and they are absolutely dressed like market stall dads here with their blue jeans and running shoes. <laughs> it's pretty poor. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the match beforehand I thought was fine, really. Pretty decent. Yeah, absolutely. It was a shame it, it got interrupted, and... Um, they had to lay out both teams and keep, you know, the band looking strong. Yeah, the attack was pretty good for, you know, considering who's involved. Yeah, definitely. It was all right. I mean, we go from there to a commercial break and they hang around in the ring at least and they're going to make some good use of the time. Um, Bubba the Love Sponge comes out and Nash cuts a promo about how he's running the show and they're Hulk Hogan's worst nightmare and we get one of the most blatant rip-offs in TNA history and that's the Wolfpack theme being redubbed and played. I don't know if you can remember, but when we first started looking at this timeline with the January 4th impact, I suggested we have a Kevin Nash scale for disingenuous promos (laughs) i vaguely remember this yes we very much need it back for this one because he did there was no meaning or conviction behind any of his words no all here (laughs) it's just super lackadaisical it's like hey hogan we're running the show now (laughs) we're your worst nightmare we carried you for 15 years Hogan, you're the biggest snake in the land. (laughs) This is um, Big Lazy at his best, isn't it? Big Lazy! (laughs) He is um, not interested at all. Like, just everything about them at at this point in time just screams, you know, stealing a paycheck to me. They they can't be bothered to look cool. They can't be bothered to dye his hair. They're not putting any effort in. It's just, it's bad on so many levels. Yeah, Waltman's the only one who looked vaguely motivated from this. Bubba sold the arse off his X Factor, by the way. Did you see how much height they got on that? Oh, yeah, Bubba can go. I, I love the X Factor as a move, too. I'm a, I'm a big X Pac fan, but yeah, this is certainly not one of the finer angles he was involved in. No. We then go to Jeremy Borash with the Pope, um, but Desmond busts in and wants his title shot, and Pope, like every stupid babyface in the world, agrees to put it on the line in a match. Yeah, that's a bit mm, red flag here. Uh, But two things from this promo that I did like. Wolf calling Pope poop. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, Yeah, so last week in the match, Earl Hebner got distracted by Chelsea, and that's why Pope lost. 
and Pope actually forgave Hebner for it because he's like, well, at his age, at his age he probably don't see much anyway. <laughs> Very uh, magnanimous of, of the Pope. <laughs> uh, we then get Doug Williams out, who cuts a promo on the jumped-up acrobats and trapeze artists of the X Division. And we go into our gauntlet matchup of Doug Williams, who's going to be taking on a few X Division members by the looks of it here. The first one out is Jeremy Buck, uh, who hits a moonsault for a one count before Doug pounds away and hits a... Sorry, Buck comes back with a face buster for a two before Doug hits Chaos Theory, which is his rolling German suplex for a three count, eliminating Jeremy Buck first up. Chaos Theory is fucking awesome. It is a cool move. It's amazing. Of course, if one buck's out, the other buck's coming in. So it's Max Buck now coming in. Hits a drop kick for a two, a slam, and a leg drop for another two. Before Doug hits, uh, locks in a guillotine and makes him tap out. He won't let go after the match, though. So Shannon Moore comes out and breaks it up, um, and Doug bails out. So we're led to believe here that this gauntlet match was actually just Doug taking on the bucks back-to-back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, This is something Doug personally arranged. Uh Doug, who now wishes to be known as Douglas Williams, his full name, because he's taking himself super seriously now. And yeah, he took this match super seriously. It was a really serviceable squash. Uh, was really good at highlighting his grappling advantage against all the high flyers and how he wants to wrestle. Oh, fucking cheek is Shannon Marvo comes out and makes a save and he tells Doug, there is no room in the X Division for boring ass wrestlers like you. <laughs> I'd be more entertained by this this segment from Doug Williams than I had with anything involving Shannon Moore or throughout our timeline. <laughs> Shannon Moore of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who, who, by the way, comes out with a physical book of Dilly Gaff. Oh, yeah. I've got to say, if you're putting it over in promos and then you have the... Um, you're going to put in the effort to bring out a physical book. It does actually look like you give a fuck to me now. <laughs> he should have come out and it's, um, I don't know. Oh, it's not a book. It's a, it's, it's a graphic novel or something like, you know, I don't give a fuck if it's actually a book, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything more ironic than writing a book and titling it? Do I look like I give a fuck? It looks like you gave several fucks and put a lot of effort in. There is actually a uh, like a self-help book out right now that's called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Maybe that should have been Shannon's book of delicate. <laughs> that probably would have been a little bit more true to life. <laughs> yeah, it'd actually have been helpful to someone. <laughs> and he, he basically, um, after this, cuts a promo saying he wants a title shot at lockdown. So that looks like where we're headed for the X Division. Absolutely. Did you see there was an advert for TNA Live events? No, I didn't notice. Oh, they were plugging that Eric Bischoff was going to be there. Like, Eric Bischoff is the draw for your house shows. Because <laughs> he's not on TV this week because he's all humiliated or something like that. <laughs> Eric Bischoff, the man whose first act in charge of WCW was to get rid of house shows. <laughs> uh, we then go to Christy Hemi with 3D, who challenged the Wolfpack for next week, and that's what they refer to them as. So we're definitely infringing on some gimmicks here tonight. Yeah, the Wolfpack who Bubba calls disrespectful and unethical pricks. Yeah, pretty fair cop, I would say. 
and Devon call them a cancer to every company that they've been in. Yeah, probably another pretty fair cop at this stage. <laughs> and we go to Desmond Wolf taking on the Pope. Uh, they brawl on the ramp. We get a very quick exchange. Uh, the Pope drops Desmond with a nice right hand and then a code breaker for a one, two, three, just like that, which caught me completely off guard. Wolf really sold that right hand really well. He dropped like a ton of bricks. Yeah, just a, a bit too quick for my liking, which, uh, again, we go over a, a lot on that. Yeah, we're very much in the law of diminishing returns here, aren't we? These guys have been one of the constant rivalries throughout our timeline here, and they've been very enjoyable in general, but like you say, this was just over and done way too quickly. As far as the, this podcast goes, this is the good version of DDP versus Mark Miro, which seemed to be the other match I saw repeatedly, and I never enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, after this, though, we get AJ Styles coming out and attacking Pope on the ramp. Um, hits him with a Styles clash in the ring. This brings out Abyss, so AJ bails it, and Desmond jumps him. Uh, but we get a f- uh, with a fire extinguisher to the head, and we go to our last commercial break. When we come- yeah, oh sorry, no go on. So the the commentary team again are putting over really heavily how well Team Flair has done against Team Hogan and all the damage they've caused today. Uh, so your world champion came and did a run-in and that didn't finish the segment. Yeah, it's um, not really the best use of AJ here. And a bit of an afterthought here. So just just for, uh, for um, future reference here, what do you think comes over as the main event for lockdown so far? Oh, definitely Team Flair, Team Hogan. Yeah, that's what it feels like for me too. Be interested to see now where where that all pans out, but that that's where I've got my money so far. Yeah. When we come back from the commercial, it is lockbox time. Thank you very much, Mike Tanay, Taz. Gentlemen, we have reached the moment we have all been waiting for. Tonight we are going to find out the contents of these lock boxes. As determined earlier tonight. Daphne. Angelina Love, Tara, Velvet Sky. Tonight, the lives of these four ladies are about to change right before our very own eyes. We know the contents of these lock boxes now. It's time to find out what's inside. It's time for the lock box showdown. Bring down the lights. Ladies, these items have been placed strategically in these boxes completely at random. We don't know the contents of these boxes. We're going to find out right now. Velvet Sky, you are up first. Now, we all know that there may be a Knockouts Championship title belt inside this box. There may be a contract. There may be a tarantula. Or, Velvet Sky, there may be a notification that you must perform a strip tease in this ring immediately following this presentation. Knowing that, Velvet Sky, are you ready? Velvet Sky, open up your lockbox, please. Open the box. And open contract. 
time, any stipulation. Velvet Sky, congratulations. Tara, this is kind of a bittersweet moment because you have a lot on the line. Obviously, your knockouts championship in one of these boxes. Your prized possession, poison, inside of one of these boxes. However, Tara, there is also the possibility that you would be forced to do something you've never done in your career, something that goes completely against what you stand for as a top world-class female athlete, and that is performing a striptease live tonight in this ring. Knowing what's at stake, Tara, are you ready? I'm ready. Tara, you have box number two. Please put the key in. Let's find out the contents of the lockbox. Poison's coming home, your tarantula inside. However, unfortunately, Tara, that means you are no longer the knockouts champion. Angelina Love, Daphne, it comes down to the two of you. Live here tonight, one of you will become the new knockouts champion, and one of you will have to go immediately to the ring and entertain our fans in attendance here tonight. Daphne, are you ready? I'll take that as a yes. Angelina Love, are you ready? I'm ready. Impact Zone, are you ready? Ladies, we are going to open them up at the same time. One of you will be the new champion. One of you will go to the ring immediately. Let's open up the lock boxes in three, two, one. Angelina Love is the new TNA Knockouts Champion of the World. Congratulations. That championship is yours. And Daphne, you must now go down to the ring and perform a striptease here tonight. Daphne, Daphne, no, no, you must do this. You signed the deal, you agreed to this, and I've been informed by TNA management, if this doesn't happen, you will be fired on the spot. Daphne. Velvet Sky is the first one who gets to open a box, and she wins the, oh, wins, or I guess you can say wins, the open contract. Um, Tara's up next, and she opens up and gets her spider back, so she's got position of poison. Angelina Love opens her box and is now the new knockouts champion, meaning Daphne has to strip. So this allows Taz and Mike Tanae to sleaze it up, and we have it all sink in that Tara's lost her belt. The, the losing the belt by chance isn't even the most stupid thing from this segment anymore, because... <laughs> Daphne have a stipulation that oh you've you've won the right to a striptease. Like how how desperate must some of these writers have been to see some fucking flesh if you, you like this is how you have to see a woman half naked. Fuck off. Oh, it was bad. It was bad. Uh <laughs> And then they're like, oh, and then Borash is like, oh, sorry, you agreed to this. You're going to be fired if you don't do it. How fucking creepy is that? <laughs> yeah, strip or you're fired. Um, exactly. That, that would probably not hold up in court. No. <laughs> and then, of course, you get the whole sex jazz music playing. Is 
Daphne has to try and she gives it some socks. Did you see her twirl her little mini leprechaun hat? <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, I may as well get into this. <laughs> yeah, she's like half getting into it and then half maintaining her like zombie gimmicks, like ah, I'm doing rows at the cameras. <laughs> Thankfully, she doesn't have to go all the way because Lacey Von Eric comes out and nails her with the ugly stick. That is a <laughs> you talk about a great gimmick for an object, the ugly stick from the beautiful people. Oh, that's just a winner. I, I do like that. <laughs> she then starts to strip, uh, but Tara and Angelina brawl on the ramp. Uh, Velvet Sky wants uh, leather and lace next week, uh, and that's pretty much how it all uh, all ends. So it was a shit ending to a shit idea, basically. Yeah, so Velvet has cashed in her open contract to get that title opportunity, Angelina, and to give us what sounds like another shit match for next week. Yeah, it's um, not going to get any better anytime soon by the looks of it. I know. On poor old Lacey just kind of awkwardly prancing about in the ring as as everyone's brawling at ringside. I know, it's just (laughs) really, really bad stuff here, and We've got all the makings of a really good show on on Impact, and they're just missing the mark on a few of these now. (coughs) Definitely, this is, again, a very, very uneven show. Um, You know, there are some highlights here, like uh, the RVD match in particular, Team 3D, and the machine guns were solid. Yeah. Uh, A lot of it was a big mess and especially the big women's night long storyline is just trash they're just trying to cram too much stuff in and none of it means anything and then when it's also poorly executed it just doesn't come off well at all like this match this this show had the lockbox challenge a ladder match and a gauntlet match all on it like what is going on yeah i, I think nothing epitomizes it better for me than the ladder match halfway through the show. Angle and Anderson virtually killing each other to try and stop people from turning over to Raw because it's an hour into the show and Raw's going to start. Yeah, just not not the best. No. Well, that's the end of Impact. So we've got Raw, we've got Impact, and I've actually got the winners we picked from last time out in front of us. I'm going to be interested to see whether or not we both go the same way as we did last time. So are you ready to go over and pick ourselves a winner? It's going to be a difficult one. This is probably the first time we've got a pair of shows where we have to think which is the least not good. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Let's give it a go, though. All right, so we start out with characters. Which show did you think featured the best characters? Uh, oh gosh um, I think I'm going to go for WWE here with uh, Triple H uh, they, they got more people onto the show like Swagger and Otunga um, so that gave people kind of an incentive to go and watch Smackdown and NXT I guess and uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went raw as well. I think 
they they got all their main players on the show and they kept them pretty heavily involved throughout start, yeah. middle, and finish. So, yeah, no beef from me at all there. Now, next off that we've got we've got crowd reactions. I, I went with Raw for crowd reactions. I thought they were a huge babyface town. They did what they were supposed to. Um, Hogan definitely got a good reaction on TNA, but a lot of the other guys didn't. What what did you think? I went with Raw again. I mean, everyone in the Impact Zone did sound pretty lively, but at times it sounded like game show lively as opposed to wrestling show lively. Um, like, like People were kind of quiet sometimes at Raw, but as they got through the match, they got involved and they got some good reactions in general. I agree, I agree. What about the storylines? Who do you think had the better storyline advancement on the night? Uh oh. See, I'm gonna go narrowly with Raw here because he got the Cena and Batista feud got really moved along quite nicely. Sheamus and Triple H got a similar sort of treatment. Orton's got a title shot lined up. Um, TNA were doing a good job with the Lethal Lockdown match. Everything else, meh. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think both shows advance the stories, but Raw did it in a way that was enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, TNA's like, you know, they've made a mess of the knockout division all in a one-night story. The um, the band Hulk Hogan stuff's pretty half-hearted, and your champion's not really getting anything to sink his teeth into either. So whilst they were advancing stories, it wasn't necessarily in the most entertaining or, you know, best thought out way they could do it. Yeah, I think that's a great point as well about them, how the whole knockouts lockbox thing was designed to be this self-contained thing, and yet it still feels like it's kind of done lasting damage. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Production quality, as always, I went with Raw. It's you've got to either see a big snafu or a big jump in production on the other side to change that. Did you go the same way? I went the same as well. Yeah, like I mean, despite a couple of oddities, like, like I was saying about Batista coming out to his SmackDown logo and things like that, it's still just an all-round better run show, really. Hundred percent. And that takes us to our last one. The big one is match quality. Who did you go with for match quality? I actually went with Impact with this one. They immediately matched Raw's best match with their opening match. Uh, Rob Terry had a pretty serviceable squash. Uh, Douglas Williams got showcased really well in his squash as well. And the Machine Guns and Team 3D had a decent little <coughs> bout as well. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. I thought Impact definitely had the better action. Um, whether or not some of it was wasted or you know not very well thought out is up for debate. But I thought the matches themselves were better, more interesting, and you know fresher matchups as well. So definitely um, TNA um, saves them being whitewashed by Raw. But I think you put it best earlier when you said this is a, a decision on which was the least uh, sucky show. Absolutely. Well, that will do it for this one. So we've got this one in the can. We're going to have this one out very soon. What have you got coming up yourself? Um, I'm not sure yet. We've yet to reconvene after our summer break, but uh, we're going to have a little SummerSlam viewing party. Uh, let's see, maybe some stuff will fall out of that. We can have like a little mini production meeting. Oh, very cool. Um, yeah, we shit, we've not done an episode since WrestleMania. <laughs> Go listen to that if you want to. <laughs> 
<laughs> Part-time podcaster now. <laughs> we are the Brock Lesnar of wrestling podcasts. <laughs> you show up when you want, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> oh my god, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, well, I've got a, I've got a few shows coming up. Hopefully, in the next couple of weeks, Richie and I watched some absolutely atrocious '80s wrestling. So we're going to describe that to everyone in a bite-sized chunk, so they don't have to bother watching it themselves. <laughs> And um, Carl and I are a little bit stuck this month because we, I don't look too far ahead because I want to watch the shows as I would watch them. You know, I know I know a lot of stuff, but I want to watch them as I would fresh so that I don't have any bias. And we watched Good Friends, Better Enemies and realized WCW didn't hold a pay-per-view that month. So we're going to have to find a way to switch that up. Oh, shit. Um, oh, let me think. Oh, you're going to have to go back to ECW TV, aren't you? <laughs> Oh, well, I I went because I, I realized in that month they had two specials, but neither of them are on the network in their entirety. And I'm not willing to watch three or four episodes of Hardcore TV to get all the recaps. So um, I'm really glad you had Richie with you uh, watching that week that you had to sub in for Nitro. I would not want to be watching that alone. No, I know. Richie is an absolute jinx for picking the worst wrestling ever. I'm sure he's going <laughs> to hear this, but... Every show he gives me to watch is just atrocious. I'm going to have to take him off picking duties very soon. (laughs) He's going to force me to retire from my own podcast if he gives me any more of this to watch. (laughs) But um, it's going to be a fun chat anyway, but we're trying to mix it up. There's not a lot of... um, there's, there's not a lot of other company stuff in the 80s and we're trying to go through the 80s. So it does get a little bit, you're not exactly spoiled for choice. But as we get into the late 80s, I'm certain it's going to get a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, there's not a lot coming up. Um, I've got in between there, I'm going to probably try and keep the Thunder and Heat show rolling as well because that's, you know, it's like my little treat to myself that I get to watch something good and we'll, <laughs> we'll um, keep everything else coming out. Awesome. Yo. Yo, Jordan Imp, this, this right here is crazy. Yeah, I, I feel big, you know what I mean? Like, not, not big in the sense of weight, you know what I mean? Like, gaining weight or nothing like that. Like, colossal, like, you know what I mean? Like, <sighs> I heard you were looking for me. Forever from me to you. I heard somebody say, Church, I'ma need a suit, I'ma need a coop, I won't need a roof. Fly it and be the juice, be the juice, be the juice. I got the flow, I'm trying to see the roof. Didn't wear bulletproof, so I got shot and you can see the proof. Blind eyes can look at me and see the truth. One if Stevie do, but I'ma leave it to God, not be beneath the you. Cause I'm a murder, why I kill Owen, even you. Man, I got summer hating on me cause I'm hotter than the sun Got spring hating on me cause I ain't never sprung Winter hating on me cause I'm colder than y'all And I would never, I would never, I would never fall I'm being hated by the season So fuck y'all, hating for no reason Hey, Mr. Carter, I am Around the world and I'm back again Who's been asking about me? In case you're wondering, really? 
case you're under a bit. <laughs> yeah, I've been in and out the bank, bitch. Why y'all asshole niggas been on the same shit? I flush them and watch them go down the drain quick. Two words you never hear Wayne quit. Cause Wayne win and they lose. I call them April babies, cause they fools. And when they snooze, we up, feet up like a paraplegic. A paraplegic. A parallel park in a red and yellow thing. Old school Atlanta hawk. Like I'm from Kyle Park, but I'm from Holly Grove. Now all my blood screams, Sue, and da da do. I know my rule, and I play it well, and I weigh it well on my Libra scale. I suck a pussy, fuck a pussy, leave it. They are wrong, they don't even Young. care. Young. I am him. Around the world now, back again. Who's been asking about me? In case you're wondering, I am him. Around the world now, back again. Who's been asking about me? In case you're wondering, yeah. I'm right chair in my chair with my crown and my dear. Queen B as I share my time with my ear. Young Carter, go farther, go further, go harder. Is that not why we came? And if not, then why bother? Show no mercy in Marcy, your loggers. So far from being the bastard that Marcy had fathered. Now my name's being mentioned with the martyrs, the biggies and the pox and the mollies and the marcuses. Garvey got me a Molotov cocktail. Flow, even if you watch well, can't stop the blows. Kaboom, the rock boy in the room. The dope boy just came off the spoon. Also, I'm so fly, I'm on auto. Pilot, what guys just stare at my wardrobe? I see your rose, that's right, plural. I took so much change from this rap game, it's your goal. It's my go, yeah. And I'ma go so opposite of soft off the Richter, Hector, Camacho, man, Randy Savage, fall from average, above status, quo, flow, so, pro, I know, I ride slow, and when I pass, they say, what up, killer man, stop bringing up my past. And next time you mention Pac, Biggie, or Jay-Z, don't forget Weezy, baby. Squeeze it hurt, fine. We lose two lives, yours and mine. Give me any amount of time. Don't let Miss Carter grieve at the funeral parlor. Drip my tears down my sleeve. Give me any amount of time. Don't let Miss Carter grieve. 